Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Today's guest is Kellen Clements. He grew up herding cattle out in eastern Oregon on his family's 3,500-acre ranch in Burns. Only a handful of years later, he ended up in New York City playing for the Jets after being drafted in the second round of the 2006 draft. Well before Kellen started his NFL career, I got to know him as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Oregon way back in 2001. That brings me to today's conversation, professional transitions and identity. It's easy to let what we do become who we are. For Kellen, his career was athletics for well over a decade. Though that is what he did, he didn't let it become his primary identity. His wife, four children, friends, and faith were centering pillars that kept him centered in the midst of being in the spotlight. Kellen talks about his own experience of transitioning careers. Much like a business owner that grows and ultimately sells their business, there is a bit of rediscovery. What's your purpose, your passion, and your updated identity? So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with Kellen Clemens. All right, Kellen Clemens, we are live on Success at Last. I'm fired up to have this conversation with an old friend. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Jared. I appreciate it. It's nice to be on. Good to get caught up with you. It is. We've got a lot of awesome things to cover, but, but most importantly, let's start with, you used to be a holder for the University <laughs> of Oregon. That was, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. It's... That was the start of it, and I did. I snuck, for sure, I snuck a few extra years out in the NFL because of the time that I spent with you at the University of Oregon holding for PATs and field goals. Excellent. That is a high honor. There's no commission for that, but I just, I'm just saying thank you. Awesome. <laughs> There's plenty of people that know who you are, but there'll be people that, that need to get refreshed. Grew up in Burns, Oregon, learned a lot about hard work, work ethic, humility, showed up at the University of Oregon in 2001, earned a starting position at quarterback, led us through some great games, some incredible bowl games, but then launched into your NFL career. So how long was the, the NFL ride? The NFL ride lasted 12 years. Lasted 12 years with, with some hiccups in there. Got cut twice along the way and thought my career was done. But at the end of it, when the when the dust settled, I'd log 12 years. I want to circle back on that a little bit, but I mean, that's your public identity. <laughs> I got to know your wife back when she was your girlfriend and yeah. you're still, still happily married. And have I some am. Kids. I don't know if she is, but I'm still happy. I'm hey. still very happily married. <laughs> Same woman. <laughs> we have four kids now. We go 13 all the way down to two and very blessed, very fortunate, very excited to be back in the Northwest now. After, you know, my career kind of took me all over. But yeah, my wife is 
certainly the rock for our family. She the glue that holds us together and, and uh, kind of the, the lighthouse that we all run to when things get a little bit crazy. So definitely to use one of your terms, outkicked my coverage in that regard. <laughs> and then the kids fortunately take after her in most, in most ways. So, so they're, they're on the right path so far. But yeah, very, very fortunate, very blessed. Had a good run, but excited to start you know, the next chapter of life in more of a you know, real world career and uh, be moving forward to see what's next. Excellent. Well, let's, let's take a minute to unpack what you're up to then on the work front these days. So I joined and I'm now a partner with a company called Alatus that's uh, based on the East Coast. We have the uh, most comprehensive and to be quite frank, amazing behavioral assessment in the world called PRISM. It's called this PRISM brain mapping from, uh, it was developed over in the UK about 15 years ago. And we're the exclusive providers of it in, in the US and in North America. And what we're doing is helping recruit, build, and develop high-performing teams on the corporate side. We're about to launch a latest sports, which is obviously a bit of a passion for me, helping college especially, but also professional teams get to know, understand how best to engage, motivate, and teach their athletes based on their personal preferences so that they can essentially give them what they need right away and send and shortcut that get to know you phase, if you will. And then there's some, some additional resources that we provide for college athletes when they're just talking about selecting careers, academic decisions where we're able to support them in that process as well, based on where their behavior preferences lie. It's very fulfilling work, Jared, because we're having a really positive impact on people. And that gives me a lot of joy. We're making a living doing it as well. But obviously, the the most important bit for me is, is positively impacting people's lives. And that's, especially when I get to do it for young college athletes, that hits a soft spot for me. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. It, it's exciting stuff, but I appreciate you asking. Yeah, that's exciting. As I think sometimes about a lot of businesses, what differentiates one company from another is its people, its culture, and its execution. And so as you think through the importance of recruiting and engagement, it's it's wildly important. So I guess, talk to me a little bit more about kind of what the tool does, because I, th- I think that's kind of an unplanned part of our conversation today, but I want to give it some space. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. What research has shown, Jared, is that, you know, you've got your traditional hiring model, looking at the resume, background, job, previous job history, et cetera. And that gives you some insights into the candidate that you're recruiting. But what, if you really want to get the best candidate for the job that you're hiring, you have to incorporate fit. And when I talk about fit, I'm talking about behaviors, work environment preferences, work preferences, and we're able to illuminate all of that with PRISM. Additionally, what we're able to do, which this is where it gets revolutionary, is we're able to create essentially what we call a success profile. So understanding, so if you're hiring, if a company's hiring is like, we're expanding, we need to hire 10 more sales managers. We're able to go in and say, okay, give us your top five, top 10 highest performers in that job role. We assess them and create essentially an all-star profile that you can hire against and recruit against so that you're matching people who are going to be more fulfilled and have a higher output in their role that they're in. Obviously, they stay with the company. 
longer. Everybody wins. The coolest part about this is the process to get there when we're putting together that best, that best fit list is completely diversity neutral. Doesn't matter if you're tall, short, maybe a redhead or a, brun- a, you know, a brunette, black, <laughs> white, male, female, doesn't matter. You are assessed and screened strictly on your behavior. So you truly, it takes some, a lot of the human biases that might be present completely out of it. So you truly get the best possible candidates for the job. It really is, you know, I talk about it. It's fulfilling work because you're, you're helping companies, you're helping individuals who may or may not have been passed by or passed over for the, a job that they're truly, they're qualified and would excel at. And then once they're hired, you know, that's one thing, but then the onboarding process, we're able to help. We assist in the onboarding process, helping get that individual up to speed by helping their manager, their coworkers understand what is it they need? What are their behavior preferences? How do they fit amongst the team? It's just increased efficiency throughout the entire process. And that's a field that I think is a monster lever that often gets overlooked. Within our own organization, we're spending a lot of time around organizational health and you know the, the content curriculum of, of the table group around organizational health and trying to create engagement in alignment across the entire organization. And, you know, when you get it wrong, the cost is huge. The cost of turnover is huge. You know, I've seen it estimated. It could be one and a half times annual income, you know, annual compensation to somebody. And so I guess if somebody was curious to explore what the tool looked like and how the tool worked, where, where would they go to learn more? Alatus.com would be the best place to start. And then our numbers are on there. Ways to get in contact with us. We'd be more than happy to have a conversation with somebody. The other thing that we've been able to do right now is different team. What about guys like me that can't spell great? <laughs> that's a great, sorry. That's a great, it's a great, a latest is E-L-A-T-E-U-S. A latest, yeah. take pride in what you do. Yeah, that's it. But the other thing that we've done right now, especially amid the pandemic, is some virtual team building as people are learning, how do I work remotely? With my team, how has this changed? How, you know, how is my team having to adapt? We've had a lot of success doing those right now. I have several booked already. I've executed several already and then have several more booked just in Q1. So that part has been, I don't know, Jared, you and I were, we were on teams. We knew it. I mean, there was every year the seniors were graduating. Maybe some of the juniors were leaving. You're getting a bunch of new freshmen. It's different. It's changing. The locker room was changing. The locker room dynamic was changing. Coaches had to make, coaches had to understand the culture that they were creating, how, you know, different position groups were working collectively, both in their room and then as a greater part of, you know, the offense, the special teams, the defense. How does it all fit together? And I enjoy, I I was intrigued by that early. And then I was fortunate enough to be a part of the process as I got later in my career. And it's something that I really I gained a great degree of fulfillment from, and that's what we're able to do now. So it's, it's really fun just translating. You know, you're always, I was curious, okay, how are some of these skills that I'm learning in football going to translate to real life? Because my resume at the time was like, well, I, I work really hard and I can beat the dog out of, you know, three zone, you know, zone blitz. And if you want to run Blitz to sky. I know exactly what the answer is, and I, but you know that doesn't apply in your world. So I'm I'm finding the areas where that does apply, and it's very impactful. And that part has been very rewarding. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. There's certain skills that are kind of transcendent, right? Grit. Yeah. Humility, teamwork. I mean, those are kind of transcendent attributes that help you win whatever the venue. It is. And I, I mean, I'm going to keep going, Jared, because you, like you talk about it. We as athletes, and I've talked to a couple of kind of the. Hey, I just want to say thank you for including me in the. It was an inclusive we as athletes. That's not my identity currently. So. <laughs> Dude. Do it. No, listen, listen, people, you're underappreciated because you trot out there, you kick, and then you trot back. But there's a couple of things. Okay. First of all, on a PAT, yes. Although I know for sure that I at least dropped two holds that you had to make tackles on. So I know that that's that you can tackle. I would know for a fact that you made several tackles on kickoff. Yes. Most of them were inbounds. One was out of bounds. That's okay. <laughs> you know what? He had it coming. He did. He had it coming. He did. Trust me, I know that you were you. I saw you running around a practice. You're a stud. You're a stud running around well, catching, past, throwing, and yeah, doing all of it. Past tense. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you a little bit about identity and leadership with the time that okay. we have today. Yeah. So let's go deep with the first one. I had a chance to meet you. You know, you were the you were an elite eleven quarterback, but big fish in a small pond coming from Burns, Oregon, nationally recruited. Then you showed up at Oregon. You know, you, Eugene. Right. Another opportunity yep. to be a big fish in a small pond. And then second round draft pick, New York City, you know, in the cool. Jets. Small fish, big pond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Small fish, big pond. But anyways, I mean, that's that's a very public identity. Right. And when you were down in Eugene, you were the, the starting quarterback 12 Sundays a year. But you were a student. You were a boyfriend. You were a son. You were a friend, a grandson. You were all those things, right? And so when we talk about identity, I think it's a, it's a wonderfully powerful and mysterious thing in terms of how the world sees you, but who you really are, right? And so I think the translation would be for our clients, many of them own and operate incredibly powerful, wonderfully successful businesses. And that becomes this external identity of they run this business, they're very affluent, but there's so much more to them but inevitably, there's a day where it all ends, right? You sell your yep. business or you get cut or you retire. And so I just want to talk about identity and, and what you've observed from a firsthand perspective and what you've observed maybe from a thirdhand perspective of people that have, have wrestled with it, some of the common denominators of the pe- why people struggle with it, and ultimately, how do you rediscover a new purpose, passion, and identity when you enter in a new season of life? Yeah. It's a great question, Jared, and I, I appreciate your passion and interest in the topic. I made a comment on a previous podcast, and I've said it, I've said it since the gentleman told it to me, told the story. If I've told it once, I've told it a hundred times. When I was a rookie in New York, it's the first, you know, I'd just been drafted. It's the first time that I'm actually getting paid to play the game that I love. And you're, you're in New York, which has all of the extra flash and limelight and whatnot that goes with, you know, that market. And to be completely transparent, I struggled with it. I, I really did. I struggled with that transition into this is now a business. This is a career. This isn't what we had at Oregon where much more family. We hung out in the off season. We hung out after practice. It's, it's a business at that level. And Chad Pennington gave me some advice that was, it really changed my trajectory, I think. 
in a lot of ways. And he said, I can still tell you exactly where I was standing in the locker room. I mean, goodness gracious, this is 15 years ago. When he said it to me, he said, look, Kellen, this is what you do. It's not who you are. And I was raised cattle ranch, cowboy from Burns, Oregon, raised in that environment. Yes, big fish, small pond. But if I screwed up, if I jaywalked, my dad knew about it before I got home. So you're pretty, you're pretty well staying on the straight and narrow in a small town. But one of the things that was instilled in me from a very young age was humility and understanding the bigger things and, that were at play, especially when it comes to spirituality. My family, I grew up Catholic. My family was, you know, the faith was very important to us. You know, my wife and I are Catholic, raising our kids in the faith to this day. But I think that was one of the things that gave me perspective, but it's something that you struggle with. And you and I talked about it a little bit before we got on the call, that that's who were recognized externally, right? I mean, you were the kicker. I was the quarterback. That's, oh, you're the kicker. Oh, you're the quarterback. You're this. Oh, you're the lawyer. And people jump to all sorts of conclusions a lot of times when they hear that too, that they put you in a box. And I think it's important to just understand, okay, what can get taken away in a heartbeat and what can't and put your value in what can't. I was in a position where after five years, I've been in five years, I went to Washington as a free agent and I got cut. This is in the pros. And it's the first time in my life that a team, you know, generally it's, you know, we're, we're, we're picking teams on the playground and I wasn't the first guy picked, but I wasn't very often the last guy picked. But it was the first time in my life where it was like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be here. And I would get told that again, like 11 weeks later, I went, I got cut. I was on the street. I went to Houston and I was there for two weeks and they cut me as well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm it. That's it. My career's over. And I wasn't ready for it first and foremost, because I didn't know what to do after that, you know? And, and so I think one of the things that changed for me in that moment is, okay, well, when everything gets stripped away, who am I? And what is it that I want to be? What's the quote? Character is who you are when nobody's looking. Yeah. You know, who are you when no, when no one is looking, when no one's saying you are the quarterback, you are the attorney, or you are the doctor, or whatever it is. You had three questions in there, and I, I yeah. meandered a bit. Please refresh me if I didn't answer yeah, yeah. a couple of them. So certain people handle the inevitable transitions better than others. Yep. As you've recently kind of started to wrestle and, and go through yours, what have you learned in that, that process going from observer of transitions to experiencing it first person? Well, I can tell you, I was nervous. I really was. I was nervous because it was really an unknown. It's one thing to switch teams and have to learn a new offense, but I understood the big picture. I understood the game. And I was playing, I was moving into a whole different game. I was moving into like, lacrosse or something that I have no idea about. I just <laughs> running around with sticks. I don't know. <laughs> just hitting people with sticks. My kids play lacrosse, but without the ball. So I, I think first of all, first and foremost, I was nervous about it. Where did the nervousness come from? Failure. Fear of failure. How did you have clarity of how you were going to define failure? Or was it kind of just this boogeyman that was out there? I just don't want to lose. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of a it was just a boogeyman, really. And I it's interesting you say that. I probably should have very clearly defined what was going to be winning and what was going to be losing. I think it was just, it was largely just not successfully transitioning because 
I'd seen past teammates try to transition and not make it. I didn't want to be one of those statistics. I'd also seen coaches that I'd talked to that, you know, you, you just visit with them. What's your plan? What's your story? Well, I played three years and then I, I went and tried to do X, Y, Z. And then I tried to do it. And then I tried to start my own company and did it. And eventually I got to the very end of it and I was broke. And so I called up and I was like, Hey, I need to come coach again. And they were just, they weren't doing it because they loved it. They were doing it because that was, that was what they thought they could do. And there's a huge tax on family time. And that hurts. That was something that I think to this day turned me off from that industry. And I didn't want to do that. So that was, that was part of it is, am I going to be able to find something else where I'm fulfilled? You know, that's that where I can use whatever these gifts are. I was like, there's 12 years of NFL football here. I have to be able to use this somehow. And I've stumbled into it with the latest, just by the grace of God. But and ironically, that's what we're helping people do. <laughs> and so it's kind, of, it, it's kind of ironic. But I think that was it. It was just fear of failure, fear of, of the unknown. Yeah. Kellen, one of the things that I've had the opportunity to experience first person, but also refer people through mm-hmm. is essentially almost like a clarity summit. You have a plan for your finances. People have a, typically a plan for their, for their diet and their health. Very mm-hmm. few of them have a plan to to organize, steward the time that they get each day. And mm-hmm. as you become more and more successful, creating kind of a personal strategic action plan or a life plan can be wildly clarifying because as you become more successful, there's this thing called the paradox of choice, right? You All of a sudden, more and more things open up to you. And so there's a lot of things that you can do, but really there's only a handful of things that you must do, right? And so God puts you on the planet for a purpose and for getting clarity around what those would be the things that you must do in the midst of so many things that you could do is wildly freeing. And so sometimes that paradox of choice can be overwhelming. Golly, that's really, you look at how wise you are. Yeah. Well, while you were playing football, I was getting my teeth kicked in by the real world. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to catch up to you now. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a great point. I think that there was, I took the first six months when I, when I was done, when I officially hung them up, was like, all right, I'm done. I'm not playing football anymore. I took the first six months and it was like, let's just figure out what it was. And the problem was to just for you talking about that paradox of choice, there were a lot of options, not, not to say there were a bunch of companies clamoring for my services, but there was just, there was a lot of things that was like, well, I could do that. I could do real estate or I could try to start my own business or I could do into home renovations or I could whatever. I could go back into coaching. I could, you know, whatever. And there was, that part was very challenging. And I looked around, I was like, well, what is it? Where am I going to get the most fulfillment, if you will? And then I lost sight on the personal side of what I really should have been doing, which was, or at least I lost the balance of the four humans that were running around my house in their pajamas each morning. And I was too, you know, I was focused like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I lost sight of that more often than I would like to admit in that regard. Based upon their current ages, you got recalibrated quickly, which is probably what matters most. <laughs> I did. Yes, we, we tried. Credit all goes to Nicole. And you know better than you've got firsthand knowledge of knowing that she's, like I say, out of my league in most ways. I can confirm. I can yes. fully confirm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for, I mean, you didn't even hesitate. There was no hesitation. 
no hesitation. No nothing. Wow. Okay. Good. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got your back. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go down another path. You talked about Chad Pennington, something that he said, probably he might not even remember have telling you that, right? It's probably something yeah. that he told a lot of people and it had a unique impact on your life. Sometimes I contemplate if moments like that are pebbles in a pond, right? Yeah. What are the ripples of your life? You know, like how's the world different because of your existence? And so I, I wanted to spend a few minutes asking you, who are some of the men and women outside of your family that you think have been most influential, most impactful in the man that you've become today? Man, that's a great, that's a great question. Outside of my family, Scott, it's, there's a lot of them. Jared, there, there really are. There's, there's a lot of them. So we'll, we'll start with the disclaimer that you're likely to leave people out. Let's start with that for sure. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, you're a product of your environment. And so, which emphasizes how important it is to choose your environment well, and the people that are in that environment with you. And I've been fortunate to just be surrounded by a lot of really good people. Chad is certainly one of them. Chad was the incumbent starter in New York when I got drafted. Easily could have treated me like some pain in the backside rookie that was there to take his job, which I was, that, that's the nature of the beast. But he was so kind and professional to me. You wanna talk about a ripple effect? It set the trajectory to how I treated every rookie that came after me, that was then there to take my job. There were quite a few of them. Chad was certainly one of them. There was a host of, of men, good solid men in San Diego that were as a part of our our men's group, Philip Rivers being one of them. Mike Sweeney, the baseball player, has had a profound effect on my life. A guy named Paul Colucci are some of the major ones that were there. My high school football coach, who I'm still in touch with today, Terry Graham, the man, the myth, the legend. He was interesting because he, he gave me freedom when I needed it because I worked hard. I knew the offense. I knew the defense. I knew what we were doing, and he gave me certain freedoms. But I'll never forget one time, because my, my dad coached everything. Like He was there, even if he didn't know. My dad tried to coach baseball, and he didn't know squat about baseball. <laughs> but he did it because he loved me. So my dad was there coaching, and my dad was a DB coach. I played defensive. I was played safety on, on defense. And dad did something or said something, and I snapped back as a 17-year-old kid can do. And Coach Graham did not yell at me often. I don't think I gave him cause too often, but he ripped me. He absolutely ripped me for speaking to a coach that way. Again, I can, it's one of those memories that's etched in my mind because I'm like, yeah, I was, I was out of line. And that's, that is my dad. But when he's out here, he is dad and he's also coach. And it affirmed, I guess, for me, how I should have been treating him. I was out of line. And I, I can't say I was out of line very often, but it set a course, I think, for how maybe I should have respected him in that capacity. There were a lot of people in college. Scott and Kelly Chambers took me in. In a time, college wasn't, it, tell me if I'm too long, Jared. Am I too long-winded? No, I'm, I'm just okay. here to listen. Last little bit, you know, Rick and Debbie Jeffries in college and then Scott and Kelly Chambers were, were two families, two couples, I guess I should say, who kind of just 
it was tough. I mean, you've been there. You're a college yeah. athlete. You're stressed. Taco I mean, Tuesdays. Taco Tuesdays. You better believe it. You got you got all this stuff, and it's just nice to, without violating any you know NCAA rules or anything, but it's nice to just be around real people that see you beyond the helmet, right? And you and I both know Rick and Debbie. I mean, they cared about us not because we were athletes. They cared about us just because we were people. And Scott and Kelly were the same way. But just places that where I could get away from all of the other stuff, from the school, from the football, from the whatever, and just be a 19 or 20-year-old kid that just wanted to be around just people and just kind of be in a normal, friendly, warm environment. And yeah, like I say, I mean, there's, there's so many. I've been so blessed by the people that I've been around. I'm sure I'm, I could so I could talk to you on that subject for hours, but those were those were some of the most influential and impactful, I think, for me. And it's funny because it's all off the field. It's all off the field stuff. Yeah. Do you think most of those people know that you would have made that that they made your list? Half of them. I think half of them. That's my challenge to you is to make sure that it's not a secret. Oh well, I just I just said it publicly. You did. Yeah. So I, I guess I guess publicly. when you go live with this, you'll have to send them the link. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Keep listening. Listen yes. to the end. It's there'll Listen be a payoff. The, the very end. There's a nugget. Yeah, yeah. It's but your point, the ripple effect, we never know. We never know. Little things, little interactions that you have with people. It goes a long way sometimes. It really does. Well, I, I want to talk to you about leadership. Probably one of the more cliche topics in, in business. It's important. There's a whole lot of books written about how to be a leader, and very few books written about how to be a follower. You know, we all can't be a leader. Yep. You know, I, I guess you've had a lot of interesting experiences of of leading, right? Leading at, in college is different than leading in the pros. And then leading as a, as a backup is different than leading as the starter and, you know, primary and secondary leadership. And now, now you're leading within an organization as a partner. I guess just talk to me about kind of some of your convictions. What, what have you learned about leadership? Maybe share a couple of thoughts or failures that you've had along the way. Yeah. Well, that's a long list, failures along the way. I think that my perception of leadership, and I'll just speak of it, you know, leaders. Actually, I want, to, I want to share some memories. Before oh, no. In. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. I remember. Actually, you know what? We're out of time. I appreciate it. Thanks for stopping. Oh, wait, it's your <laughs> podcast, isn't it? <laughs> no, we got 15 more minutes. I'm going. Okay. <laughs> I think just because, you know, I do, I know, know that you're valued, you value humility, but one of the things I appreciated appreciated about you when you showed up is you you led from the front. You you were a vocal leader, but also somebody that prioritized actions over words. And what I do remember and have a tremendous amount of respect for is you showed up as a highly recruited, you know, guy from from Burns, Oregon, an Elite Eleven quarterback. And you showed up, and it was it was our Fiesta Bowl year where we went and and we won the Fiesta Bowl that year. Joey Harrington was a Heisman trophy finalist, right? And really accomplished quarterback. And you ran the scout offense. And I remember that you ran it at 110%, which was often not very popular with, <laughs> with the starting defense. And I remember oh, watching man. you get teed off on numerous different times because you were just supposed to be, just run it. Like they didn't want you to run it at 110%, but you, you got the scouts fired up and you knew that that was your role and you got your teeth kicked in that year clobbered by the starting defense. But I think you earned a lot of respect along the way. I mean, that's something that I, a vivid memory I have of you getting clobbered at practice as a scout team quarterback. 
and at no point did you step in and just say, Hey guys, take it easy on him. You just kind of watched. No, my, I had tiny, a tiny face mask and my shoes were mismatched. It wasn't a safe thing to do. It wasn't a safe play. Gosh, that was a fun year, but a, but a long year. And that was, I appreciate it. I appreciate those kind words, first of all, but that was largely just because I loved football. I just liked playing. We didn't win very often. I mean, daggum Nick Aliotti, some of his scripts, I'm like, he's like, throw it to this guy. I'm like, he's not going to be open. I know, throw it to Nick. <laughs> set somebody up for failure. Hey, you who, learn real quick, and we, you want to piss somebody uh, off. When he says it, throw it to somebody else, and then you don't follow. Like the point guard you. for the Generals. You know that team that plays the Globetrotters? That's right, 100%. I was the, <laughs> we're the Washington Generals. Appreciate that. One thing that I learned, and I didn't learn it fast enough, is that it was, it's one thing to lead from in front, which I tried to do, right? If we were doing workouts, I was there, I was there early. If we're throwing, I was there, I was going to stay late. I was doing, I, I believed in that. But I think that what I didn't value early in my career that I learned later is how important it is to connect with those who you're leading. You know, we all led at different times. I mean, there were, there were drills that you led. There were drills that Haloti led. There were drills that Devin Long led. We were all leading in our collective areas and at the appropriate time. As the quarterback, you're given some of it just by default. But I think that one of the things that I failed to do was to go around and connect better on an individual level and to show a greater amount of empathy for the people that were around. I did it with some. I didn't do it enough because our goals were so intense and we were so focused on that. It was more of a check-in of, Hey, are you pulling your weight? Are we all going in the right direction? All right, good. But it wasn't enough of how are you doing? How are you, Garen Strong, new freshman that's just, you know, doesn't even know where the bathroom is. How are you transitioning to college football? I didn't do a good enough job of that. It was, do you know your routes? Do you know your playbook? Are you here on time? All right, you must be good because that's all I care about. Let's go. I think if you want to talk about share some of your failures, that's where I dropped the ball the most, I think, in the leadership department. How are you doing it today, right? So you're still asked to lead. You're asked to lead in a primary role, sometimes in a secondary role. Now we're in this virtual environment. You're in a company based on the East Coast, living in Washington. What does that look like? Well, it's easier because it's a much smaller team now. There's not 90 of us. There's only five of us. So that makes it easier. And it's just, it, to be honest, when you talked about, what did you talk about? Paradox of choice, right? With the, uh, what I can do versus what I must do. There's a lot of things that I can do with my day, but I know that what some of the things that I must do is just call, you know, one of my teammates and check in, get on a Zoom call and not talk about business. How are you doing? How's your mom? I heard she's not feeling very well. How's this? Whatever. Just display that empathy. And to be quite frank, I have to do, and it's, it's, again, these are all just things that I've learned about myself. I walk down, my wife's homeschooling. She's kicking tail. It's a full deal. She's now a full-time mom, full-time teacher, and there's not enough time to do both. And I'll walk downstairs and I'll, hey, how's the day going? Pretty good. All right. <laughs> That's good. Checked in. Everything's good. There's more depth there. There's more, okay. 
tell me more. Tell me, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in what you're, and I stink at that, Jared. I stink at that. My natural tendency is, all right, everybody's good. All right. Perfect. I'm going to go grab my sticks. Let's go hit some balls at the range. It's the same with my team at the latest as it is with my team here at the house of just really trying to connect at a deeper level with them instead of just, did you get your math done? Okay, good. There's more to it than that. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. It really does. Obviously, when we're trying to talk about identity, leadership, and recount a couple of fun stories along the way, we run out of time quickly. You've always been a goal-oriented person. One of the men that I feel like has been more influential in my life, you encountered as, as well, Jim Ratcliffe. He, he's the one oh. that, that told me the difference between a goal and an outcome. You know, I used to put down what outcomes I wanted. And he's like, no, that's a byproduct of controllable decisions. The goals would be the controllable decisions that precede the outcomes that you're looking for. And yep. I'm 18 and he's bending my mind around these concepts. And, you know, yep. I still try to operate around the no excuses, no messengers, no sympathy parties. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing that those three rules seem to satisfy just about every disciplinary issue that could ever encounter yes, as a strength coach. Yeah. But I, I guess knowing that you're goal oriented, what's a win look like for you in 2021? Kind of what are some of the big rocks and the priorities for you the back half of this year? Gracious. That's a good one. We're in a big time transition right now, Jared. We are getting ready to list our house. We're getting ready to kind of re-enroll in schools and figure out, you know, a latest as I'm, I just made partner at a latest a couple of weeks ago. So now we've got some stability with that. I think for us, so I got done in 2017 was my last year. We moved back to Walla Walla in 2018 and it's been up in the air. I tell you what is, and it's, it's outcome related. So the Jimmy Radcliffe would, would not approve, but I think it's, it's being able to get to a point where we're able to plan a little bit more long-term, you know, at least kind of make some hypothetical projections, right? None of it's ever fully in our control. Um, I've finally accepted that, but I, I think the most important thing for us is forward movement towards, okay, long-term, what's gonna be best for our family, what situation, what circumstances, that's the goal for, for us, for the Clemens family, and being able to move. And just because we've been, we've been handcuffed for a long time with the uncertainty. So that's the, that's the goal. That's the dream right now, the hope, the process-oriented goal part of it. I don't have an answer for you on that one. You caught me. Caught? Oh, man. Jim Ratcliffe, he'd be like, come on, Clemens, where's your goals? It would be. It would be with that crooked little grin and kind of that half-tilted head. Oh, I love that man. He's a good guy. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll end it on this note. You know, as it pertains to your your plans, an author once told me, I asked him, you know, when you start writing a fiction book, do you know the end from the beginning or are you kind of creating it as you write? And he's likened it. And I think it's a great metaphor for life and a great metaphor for planning. Yeah. Writing a book is like walking through the woods with a flashlight. What's right in front of you is really clear. But once you get 10, 20 feet out into the future it becomes a little bit shadowy. And yep. I think that's kind of life. It's, it's iterative. You know, the only certainty that we have is uncertainty. Yeah. And so just creating optionality around your life and your plans is a, probably a good way to live into it. Yeah. Yep. The downside for us is that we've lived that way for 15 years and are looking forward to at least saying, okay, that's true. I know six months from now, at least barring something dramatic, I know at least what house we're going to be in and what school my kids are going to be in. 
That is true. That's the the background of the uh, or the origin of the statement is for 15 years it's been I don't know I don't know where we're going to be next year I don't know I literally I know it's not going to be here but I don't know where that part has gotten we're we're very done with that <laughs> absolutely well context matters context matters yes yeah. well, Kellen super fun to get reconnected with you I'm happy that you're doing so well and uh, not surprised that the the same attributes that made you successful on the field are translating to success within your family as well as off the field. So congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. And to your growing resume, you can certainly add podcaster extraordinaire to it. I'm, uh, you're gifted, man. You got this. I interviewed one of our old, pa- old teammates, Anthony Trucks. Oh, yeah. And he talked about kind of just imposter syndrome. He's like, you just have to start doing it and eventually you become it. And I was like, All right, you know, there's some wisdom in that. Makes sense. I'm actually on with AT on Monday in a small world. Small world. Well, tell him I said hi. I will pass it along. It's good to catch up. Please tell your wife and kids hello. All right. Thanks, Kellen. See you, bud.